Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15. It's part two of the chapter three in Nehemiah. Wall to wall workers. Romans chapter 15 and verse four. <clears throat> Romans 15, four. Romans 15, 4. The Bible says this, once you've got that open, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And if there's one thing this world needs, is hope. And you may take it for granted. You may read your Bible and you may know all about things going on. Honestly, the Bible believer knows what's happening. <clears throat> all of the, if you notice, all of the, uh, the talk and all the discussion is about an implanting of a chip in everybody. They already have it in dogs. They have it in every, um, all the cattle. But humans are next. And, you know, the Bible even knew that was coming. We knew that the mark of the beast, the number of his name, was going to be everywhere so that you couldn't buy or sell. <clears throat> so it doesn't shock us. But we have hope. And the world thinks that by trying to get everything controlled, by bringing everything under a, a one-world government, things will be safer. We know that it won't be. So when you come to the Bible and you're reading your Bible, you'll, you'll get hope when you take things for what they were written for. Now, sometimes you're reading your Bible. Sometimes you read it and it's like, wow, what does this have to do with any, anything? Well, come back to this verse. This is whatsoever. It means everything that was written in the past, in the Old Testament, was meant for you to learn and that if you, through patience and comfort the Scriptures, you'll get hope. So when we come to the book of Nehemiah, we're talking about a book about rebuilding things. And the rule of thumb is you don't leave things as they are. You know, Bible-believing Christianity doesn't just look on at the world going to hell, tearing itself apart. We get busy trying to do something to slow things down. Now, we're not going to fix the world. There's no fixing of this world, amen? There's fixing the human heart. But we don't, we don't have this idea. We're no politicians up here saying, I have a dream, I have a plan, I have a goal. I, you know, that's great, that's great. But it's not going to fix anything. Only the heart can be fixed. And that's one at a time. We get busy doing something to slow it down, but we do want to fix broken people. Now, we're looking way back. We're looking at 445 years. Go ahead and go to Nehemiah, if you would. Uh, just before Psalms, we're looking 445 years before the birth of Christ. That's 2,462 years ago on Dan's birthday. <clears throat> now, when you're reading Nehemiah, <clears throat> you're reading about a city that was in ruin. Jerusalem was just a pile of rubbish and, and, and piles of stone. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2. And uh, start in verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat, which was a bad guy, he heard that we built the wall, he was wroth, he was furious, and he took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. 
And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice again? Will they make an end of all their work in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the, look how he describes it, the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now these were old waste. These are, this is, this is rubbish upon rubbish and, and piles of burnt out, thrown away uh, stones and, and wooden junk that had been piled up for 160 years. And when you go through and you learn a bit of the history, you learn that it all started back under the warnings of God in Jeremiah's day. And how Jeremiah said, it's all going to go bad, it's all going to go bad. Nobody listened to him. But sin had ruined that city. So there were walls that had been broken down. These, these were uh, 15 foot thick walls, 21 feet high, 15 feet thick. And Nebuchadnezzar just took them all down. And uh, now, I find when you start reading about broken things, my mind just connects and says, there's a lot of things broken today. Again, what we're written before time, we're written for our learning today. What's been broken today? Well, I'll mention it. I'll mention it until the cows come home, and that is that marriages are broken. But not just marriages, but the concept of marriage is broken. Nobody knows. Nobody seems to know how marriage works and how to make it work because they don't think, they don't, they think that all you need is love. Remember... The Beatles? I mean, what a childish, childish, all you need is love. Yeah. No, you need a lot more than that. You need a lot of determination. You need a lot of prayer. You need a lot of help. Marriage is broken. The concept, they can't even decide what, what qualifies for marriage. They can't decide on what's a male and what's a female anymore. People's minds are broken. If you could see what your child could be like if he didn't spend 15,000 hours in front of the television. If you could see what your child would be like, the musical instruments that he or she could learn, the languages they could learn. Minds are broken. Minds are wasted. We're living in a day where most everything is broken. Isn't that how the devil wants it? He just, he just, and we're going along with it trying to manage. People's trust is broken. People don't trust anybody. Um, people's hearts are broken. People's faith is broken. I had knocking on doors all day yesterday, yesterday afternoon there. And uh, um, Francis and I just found person after person. Nah, nah, not interested. Nah. <clears throat> What's the problem? They lost their faith. You know, at least I used to deal with people who had some sort of faith. But people, they just give up on everything. And society is broken. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. Can I just encourage you? Things that are broken can be fixed. I may not be able to fix it, but God can. Amen? So, <clears throat> we're going verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah, and we're, we're picking up speed now. We're not going to get through all of chapter 3. When I, when I looked at this last October, and I started outlining all this thing. I, I, I sometimes just sort of take a stab in the dark and go, all right, I'm going to deal with chapter 3 in, in, um, in April. And then I get in chapter 3 and I go, I could use April, May, June, July. Because there's some great things in this one chapter here. We're going through chapter 3, and Nehemiah in his journal is recording uh, work going on to rebuilding a city. Now, this is kind of a model of what Jerusalem looked like from the air if you had one of those drones back 2,464 years ago. 
<clears throat> but it was in rubble at the day, and he was going to restore it to that kind. This is, this is three kilometers of wall going around the city. This is the temple back here. Uh, these were all the, the important people living in the city and all the workers and all the normal people like you and me living outside, okay? But uh, Nehemiah starts with a gate up here on the back pointing towards Bethlehem. He started with describing the rebuilding of the sheep gate and then the fish gate and then the old gate and the valley gate, the dung gate, the, mount, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the eastern gate, and then the Mithcad gate. Now, all of those gates have a meaning. You say, why does, you know, God didn't waste one word, didn't waste one letter when he put it in the Bible. <coughs> Sometimes he doesn't have to tell you all the things. You can sit there and you can go through that thing and you know this is a type of the Christian life. And so next week we're going to go through all of those gates. I hope you go through all of them. Because they were meant to go through the gate. There's only one gate that's closed. Anybody remember which one that is? That's the eastern gate because that's the one the Lord's coming back in. So all of these things are for the Christian to go in and out of. And we're going to look at that next week. But Nehemiah records all the work going on all 11, all 10 of those gates. <clears throat> so uh, uh, different people, these are all the names of different people who are kind of in charge of each one of those gates being rebuilt. Now, evidently, there's a lot of work going on. I mean, there's no doubt, <clears throat> uh, a ton of work. Um, 38 individual workers are named in this book. In this chapter, 38 names. There are 42 different kinds of people. Masons and carpenters and Levites and priests and merchants and apothecaries, goldsmiths, men and women, fathers and daughters. These are all people working together to rebuild this, this one big wall. And you got to understand, they're busy. As we read there in chapter 4, verse 2, it says there's piles and piles of rubbish. There's nothing more discouraged than the mess you have to clean up before you fix dinner. That's why mom always cleans up after dinner so that it's fresh the next time. But gentlemen, I'm going to be alone for the next week, and i got to get over the fact that, you know, there's going to be dishes in the sink, and i got to get to them if I'm going to survive. Amen? Because when you keep piling up all of the wear there and you don't do anything about it, it discourages you from ever going in the kitchen. Amen? Come on, gentlemen, raise your, no, nod your head. You'd much rather just take that stuff, dump it, and go, sweetheart, I lost the dishes. Amen? But uh, you got to clear the rubbish before you can start to rebuild. So there's a lot of work going on. Secondly, there was a lot of building and rebuilding of massive, extensive sections of the wall. Yesterday I was with uh, Rodell and, and uh, Andreas and Martin and, and uh, Bill were out. And you know, you set out and you got this pile of posters that we were putting up. And, and you head out there and you're carrying this big, long, Rodell's carrying the, the ladder. And before that it was Eric and, and uh, we were out there. <clears throat> and you set out and I looked down the straight road and you say, and I mean, when you start climbing up that ladder, putting up two posters in the wind and all the cars going by, we had a lot of good thumbs up and a lot of, a lot of honks and good honks. It was really encouraging. But as you do that thing, all of a sudden you're halfway through and you're going, we're only halfway done, man. And I just, I just think, you know, that's just one simple task. These guys are working, back-breaking work all day, every day, six days a week, clearing away rubbish. There's, there's a lot of work involved when you come to the book of Nehemiah. And isn't that true about anything you try to fix? You know, don't we wish we could just, we had an app for that, you know? We could just fix the car, you know? <laughs> fix the dog, you know, fix the wife. That one's not working! <laughs> 
<laughs> it takes work, folks, amen. And the truth is this, broken things don't fix themselves. They don't. You know, they, they write songs and they tell, you, they tell you that, you know, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Time may give you, give you a bit of breather before you have to fix something, but it doesn't fix anything. Evolution's a lie. Things don't get better with time. If you've got a problem and you just let it go, and I know that's the Irish culture, you know, there's a problem, just ignore it, just, get over, just, just go on. All you've done is you've put off the inevitable. You're going to have to explode and deal with it at some point, amen? So when it comes to broken things in our homes, in our heads, and in our hearts, and in our church, they're not going to fix themselves. We've got to fix them. So what was everybody rebuilding? All right, I'm giving you all the background. Just stay with me here. There are three things. They're building a long winding wall around the city. I mean, uh, just, uh, just a, a lot of work. And, uh, you know, just thinking about it. You know, I, it's not something you'd want to do. And I'm going to tell you about this in a moment. They have to build, rebuild 10 main gates. And these gates have to withstand en enemies. And they have to work. Like I said last week, you know, you expect me to build some. I don't expect it to work, all right? My hands are not builder work, builder hands. But 10 main gates, and then they are trying to rebuild their nation again. Uh, they lost their nation hundreds of years earlier, and they're trying to rebuild it with this one monumental effort. Thankfully, there were a lot of workers. And so as Jeremiah sitting there looking out over the precipice of that city and that rubble, he's looking at people starting to clean up and starting to pull stuff out and clear off the rubbish and start to put brick upon brick and block upon block. He's encouraged because there are a lot of workers. And you know, if you're ever going to do something to make a dent in this nation, if you're ever going to start, if you ever have a burden to help uh, the addicted, and if you're ever going to have a burden to help the next generation, we need workers. Some of us pour a whole life into this stuff, and we, we gladly burn ourselves out. But let me tell you, it's a good thing when you look out and you've got a lot of workers. Nehemiah's got enough, and that's a good thing. Now, don't you get content because I'm looking for you. Because we need a lot more. We need everybody pulling their weights and helping out and building and battling by the book. So how are they doing it? There were three things that I said last week. And again, these are all reviews to get us up to speed. There were three things they were doing. You remember the first one? There was hard work. You know, uh, the, the, the most important thing you need to teach your children, boy or girl, is to work hard. I mean, you, you give somebody a job and you say, all right, now I want this, I want the, the, the garage cleaned out. And you walk away and they do about 10 minutes and then they're on their phone. Take their phone. They need to do that work and they need to do it well. Because by the time they graduate college, you're going to think all the people are going to look for them for great accomplishments on the job and they won't work. Nobody should hire them. There's one thing, my, there's, there's several things my dad taught me. My dad taught me one good thing, and I give him great honor, and I thank him every time I can. He taught me to work hard. He taught me to finish what I start. He taught me that my work matters. And, and if, if, if we're going to have a church, and if you're going to have a family, if you, I want to get married someday. Well, you better put your back into it, because it's going to take work not to kill the guy. It takes effort. It takes hard work fixing things. Secondly, it takes teamwork. You know, a lot of people uh, think, well, well, uh, the, the burden of the, of the family is on the woman. It is not. Oh, the burden, the burden of, of making sure we got enough money is on the man. It is not. 
Everybody's got to work. Not that, not that the woman has to work. Not that the, 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 the man doesn't have any responsibility with the kids. No. When, when everybody's pulling together, when everybody knows, listen, we got to save money. If we're going to go on holiday, we all got to stop spending. Amen? It takes teamwork. It takes everybody in a church, everybody doing something. If you notice at our church, I try to find something for everybody to do. I try to say, hey, would you help with this? Would you do that? Would you get here early and do this? Why? Because you were meant to work. You were meant to work. You can't be saved by works. Work does not impress God. But I do labor together with Him. I get to labor along planting, sowing, watering, and God gives the increase. Amen? It takes teamwork. You know, Paul was, was honoring Paul, Apollos when he wrote there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. And he's honoring Apollos saying, thank you, Apollos. I needed you. Because when he would go into a town and he would preach, they would run about. Now, very few of you have ever lost your job because you were, uh, some of you have, but very few of you have ever lost your job because you gave somebody a gospel track or you gave the gospel out or you're trying to tell people they need to be born again. But Paul got kicked out of every town he ever went into. So he couldn't go back to some of the towns. So Apollos got in there. And Paul, Apollos, he taught more of the Bible. He watered the word and people got saved. Aren't you glad for people who just come along and do what you can't do? That's what a church is filled with people. One person can do one thing. Another person comes along and fills in the gaps. Teamwork. And what was the third one? Anybody remember? Knee work. Knee work. Honestly, probably the most important part and the most neglected, and you can tell on our Wednesday nights, which is most neglected. But uh, uh, knee work. You know, you'll find over 12 times here in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah praying, begging God, helping. He's not going to rely on those people. You know what he's going to rely on? God. Because you know what people do? They come and they go. You know, God is the same. You can trust he'll be there. You can trust he'll keep going. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That's my life verse for the first uh, 10 years of my Christian life. Then the, the, the life verse that I've had ever since about 19... Uh, uh, what was it? 1991, 1992 was Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll keep working. He just needs me to keep working. So my point is this. I, I'm glad for anybody who volunteers and helps. I just know this. I don't trust you. I mean, you're going to do your best. You're going to be there, but sometimes you can't be there. I trust him. Amen. So Nehemiah is praying and saying, Lord, I don't have anybody else to complain to. I don't have anybody else to turn to. Lord, help. And the Lord did. So hard work, teamwork, knee work. Those are three things that will get you successful through anything. You say, well, they're laying off at, at work. You know what you need to do? You need to work hard. Work your tail off, man. You need to work with people. Quit being an obnoxious, arrogant jerk. Amen. Work with people. And then thirdly, spend your time praying for your boss. Amen. Pray that God blesses him or her. Pray that God gives you opportunity to give him the gospel. Pray that God honors your testimony there and that people say, we can't let Craig go. There's something about him. Amen. That'll make you success. Sorry, I can't, I, I, you can't charge for that information, amen? It's Bible, it's free. So, now some amazing things. We're going to get in chapter 3, and we're going to get into the, the message here. In chapter 3, 
some amazing things about the builders. Start in chapter 3, verse 1. I wish we had time to just read the whole chapter, <clears throat> but I'm just going to point out some things here. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, now you ought to underline that word there, the name. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests. And they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it. And they set up the doors of it. Even to the tower of Mia, they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next to him built the men of Jericho, and next to them built it, underline this next word, Zachar, the son of Imri. The fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set the doors thereof and locks thereof and the bars thereof. Next to them repaired, there's a third guy, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz. And next to them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel. Next to them repaired Zadok, the son of ba Banana there, whatever. <laughs> Got to have some fun. I know, Banana. Got to have some fun. Let me just tell you, listen, folks, some amazing things about the builders, they had names. You know, it's a good thing when your boss knows your name, amen? Who are you? <laughs> That's a terrible thing. I've been working here for three months. You don't know my name. No, Nehemiah knew the names of the people who were working, and that shows that Nehemiah cared about them. That's a good boss. He knew where they were from. He knew what section of wall they were in. He knew their families. He knew why they had come. There's something special about Nehemiah. Let me tell you, there's something even more special about Jesus. He knows your name too. I come around this room here, people get coming in, and I go up to somebody and I go, and I can't remember a name. And I feel this small, oh, it's okay. It's a hard name. I go, no, it's not. It's just my brain. But it's nice when somebody remembers your name, amen? means a lot to you. Well, these people, we read some of them, had some names. I mean, Eliashib, Zachar, Merimoth, Zadok, Meshulam, Jehoiada, Selene. Where did those come in? <laughs> names are important. You're, you set up, didn't you? Where is Selene? She's not even in here. She's helping next door. All right, well, I got Leo. I mean, Leo, what's my name doing up there? I mean, yeah, when your name is in there, all of a sudden it has different meaning, doesn't it? Powerful. Evidently, God likes names. Go to Luke. Hold your place here and go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. <clears throat> Luke 10, verse 17. Now, Jesus has sent out, he sent out 12 first, but now he's got 70 going out. Chapter 10, verse 17, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You know, that must have been one good kick. Pow! <laughs> you got to visualize some of your Bible, man. Verse 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That'd be a great promise to claim. Unfortunately, you can't claim it. They could. Listen, if you're going to go through life as a Christian, you're going to experience a lot of hurt, a lot of loss. That's okay. These guys were protected for a while, and he says, I've given you great power, and they were going, wow. But verse 20 says this, Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not. Don't get excited over the power I gave you, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice. Why, 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 why? Because your names are written down in heaven. 
What a great truth. You know, names don't matter until it's yours. Can you imagine when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more? The morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saints are gathered on the other shore, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Craig Ledbetter, here! <laughs> Amen? You know what? Your name may not be called up in heaven, but down in hell there will be a chuckle and a chortle and a, and a scream out, Craig Ledbetter! And you'll be screaming out, I'm here! Why am I here? You know, when your name's called, it'll mean something. You better make sure it's called in the right place. Amen. So they had names. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You're going to watch your name in that book, folks. How do you get your name in that book? I'm glad you asked. You must be born again. Oh, that means I got to be baptized. I didn't say that. You must be born again. Oh, well, do I join this church? Uh, Jesus never said join a church. You know what he said? You're lost. You're wicked. There's no hope for you. So what did, I, what did Jesus do? He took your place. He asked you just to believe on him, to trust him like you do an airplane. You just get on and let the plane and the pilot do the job. You just enjoy the ride, amen? But you got to get on. You got to trust him. You got to say, I believe that Jesus died for a wretch like me. And I believe with all my heart. You know, God does something absolutely marvelous. He says, did I hear right? Was that Ledbetter who just asked me to save him? Put his name down in the book, amen? And he knows my name. What a great, great God we serve. He, the moment he records my name, he forgets my sin. You know, when I think of some people, I think of their sin. I think of what they said to me. I think of what they did to me. But when God thinks of me, he thinks of a saint. I, I don't qualify. He thinks of a son. <gasps> I've been adopted into his family. I, I've been saved, folks. My name's in that book. You know, these guys put the, got their name in that book, and that a pretty good job, amen? There are many kinds of workers. <clears throat> Look back there in chapter Nehemiah, chapter 3, verse 1. And I just noted some of the ways that they described some of the workers. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up, and his what? All right, first thing I want you to see is there were families that were involved. Not just the men, but there were families. People related to one another. You know, the hardest people to talk to sometimes is the brother of a Christian or the sister of a Christian. Hardest one to win are those people in your own house. Isn't that true? Do you know what? Entire houses were working together for the Lord. And you know, when, when the Philippian jailer brought out Paul and Silas, and what must I do to be saved? You know what Paul said to that man? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and get your whole house in on it, in your whole house. Um, uh, there's just something wonderful about a whole house getting saved. And it's a miracle no matter what you think. It doesn't just happen. But when, when, when folks, when there's two of you saved, when there's two of you in your family saved, work together. Serve God together. There are brethren, there are families, people. Uh, look down at verse, I love this, <clears throat> um, uh, chapter 3 and verse 12. 3.12, and next to him, here are all these different people working on different portions of the wall. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. He and his what? 
Now, maybe he lost his wife. I don't know. It doesn't say. Maybe his wife went on holiday to Cyprus. I don't know. <laughs> he probably lost his wife there. But you know what he said? To his daughters, he says, we got a job to do. I love that. Well, you know, you're delicate ladies. You could now. You know what those ladies did? They rolled their sleeve and says, where's a brick? Let us, let us pick up something. We can carry tools. We can do something. Amen. Amen. Thank God for people who don't sit there and look and go, well, I could never do that. Well, maybe not that, but you do something else. You know, when people just show up to help, it's a great church. Amen. When your kids aren't just running off to go get on the internet and to go watch Netflix or to go up to their room and to play their Xbox or whatever, and they're making sure they got the jobs done before they go off on their own schedule, it's a good family, amen? Work as a family. They also have the immigrants. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Next unto them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite. This guy from Gibeah. Look down to verse 14. The dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of Beth Hasarim. He built and set up the doors thereof and locks thereof and the bars thereof. Just two different people groups. The Gibeonites were ancient Gale, uh, uh, Canaanites. And they should have been destroyed. They should have been judged under the righteous wrath of God. They were wicked, a wicked nation in Canaan. When Joshua came in, God said, wipe them all out. Well, the Gibeonites said, we don't want to die. You know, one of the best things that ever happened to you was when somebody told you about coming judgment. And you said, I don't want to die. I don't want to go to hell. You know what those Gibeonites did? They came up and said, oh, is there mercy for us? And the, yes, they lied. Yes, they deceived. But let me tell you what, what were they doing? They're trying to find grace. They're trying to find uh, uh, safety and protection from the coming wrath of God. And they got it. Sometimes the children of this world are wiser than us. So the Gibeonites got under the grace of God, but King Saul had a bad day, had a bad life. And King Saul wanted to take out some anger on somebody, and he said, oh, the Gibeonites, they're not even Jews. Let's hurt them. And he hurt this small subculture in, uh, in Israel. And um, a couple years later, David's wondering why things are going bad. And the Lord says, because of how Saul treated the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites kind of were potential for building up on bitterness and anger against the Jews. And uh, justice was served. Let me just say, tell you this. The, um, uh, it's kind of hard. <laughs> I lost my train of talk, uh, thought there for a minute. But the Gibeonites could have become very bitter. They could have said, you know, the Jews don't like us. These, 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 the God's people never respect us. They never give us any leeway. They always, they always look down on us. You know what they said? There's a job to do. Let's help. And instead of being bitter against God's people, which are full of flaws, by the way, you know what the immigrants did from Gibeah? They rolled up their sleeve and they worked with them. That's a good thing. See, God doesn't have a superior race. One race. All sinners. Amen. So you got, and then there's another group, the Rechabites, and you ought to read about them in, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, there's, there's a, a foreign group that doesn't belong there, and they decide that they want, they want to obey God, and they obey their father who says, you just stay, and you stay quiet, and you don't cause a problem, and you let all the wrath fall around you, and you look unto God. And the Rechabites were a foreign group who just, were, God just protected them 
because they didn't, you know, start riots and they didn't want to take back Israel when it was being punished by Nebuchadnezzar. It's kind of deep, but just follow me. The Rechabites and the Gibeonites said, we can help too. Amen. You know, when you're in a nation, that's your country now. That's your nation. You may be, I'm, I'm from Texas. That's my country. It's a nation unto itself. But you know what? I'm here. This is my country now. It's been my country since the day that my wife and I landed, stepped off. This is home. I hope, I hope to die here. I'd rather be raptured here, but whatever happens, amen. Immigrants got busy and helped out. Long distance workers, look at chapter 3, verse 2. Next to him builded the men of Jericho. <clears throat> look down chapter chapter 3, verse 5. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired. Now, just, just thinking about this for a minute, the men of Jericho had to travel 25 kilometers. That was a day's journey by foot. They left their homes. They couldn't commute. You imagine, you know how long it takes to take a day journey? Oh, that was not a hard question. How long does it take to take a day's journey? A day. So they couldn't commute. All right, do you understand? Honey, I'm going to work. And <laughs> a whole day there. You're not coming home. So for the next 56 days, you know what they're doing? They're away from home. They're long distance. I didn't want to say traveler because we know what travelers are. But they're long distance commuters. They're long distance workers traveling. The Tikoites traveled 18 kilometers. And uh, I, I, I got to say this. Look at verse 27. Chapter 3, verse 27. And after them, here come the Tikoites again. The Tikoites are just a little town south of, of Jerusalem. But they not only repaired one section of the wall, after them the Tekoites repaired another piece over against a great tower that lieth even unto the wall of Ophel. You know, it's kind of neat when you give somebody a job to do, Brother Dan, and 10 minutes later they're doing two jobs. You go, what in the world? Pay that man double. <laughs> People, I have found this. People who have to travel the furthest, you know what? They got the bigger heart usually. Amen. If you live three minutes away, you'll be 10 minutes late. Is that not true? Come on, nod your head. Amen, amen. Rulers and governors and TDs, all right? Uh, look in uh, chapter 3 and verse 9. <clears throat> Still in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 9. Next unto them repaired Rephaiah, the son of Hur. And he's, he's got a title. He's called the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. He was a bigwig. He was an uppity-up. He's a top guy. You know what he's doing? He's picking up bricks and blocks and mortar and dirt and rubbish. Amen. You know, the only work I ever see these TDs do is going door to door trying to get our vote. The rest of the time, I don't see them doing anything. Amen. And it's nice when somebody who wants to be in charge actually works. Amen. These guys were working. Look in verse 12. Next to him repaired Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the ruler of the other half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. Uh, verse 14, the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of a little town called Beth Hasarim. He built it, set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. These, you know, this impresses me. You know, the Bible says this, not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called. Because you're wasting your call. They're too busy. Oh, you know, I got my constituency. I got my, I got my business. I got this. No wonder they're not called by God to do a good thing, um, uh, uh, an important thing, a, a spiritual thing, because they'll never respond. You know who usually shows up? 
Usually it's the people who just, they're the common people. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you know what's nice when people who are important, they become just like the rest of us. Amen? Makes you respect them a whole lot more. There were lots of rulers and small-time governors that were working there. Then there were the religious people. You know, religious people ought to work too. Amen? Look at verse 17, 317. <clears throat> we saw Eliashib, the high priest, but verse 17, after him repaired the Levites. Now, the Levites were the teachers of the day. They taught school. They taught the law. They taught how to read. They taught how to write. But it was all from the Bible. These Levites, verse, um, uh, verse 22. After him repaired the priests, the men of the plain. And verse 28. And from above the horse gate repaired the priests. And then verse 26 says this. Moreover, the, these guys called the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel under the place over against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. Again, here's Nehemiah, and he's recording all this, and it must have brought a smile to his face as the people who normally we think of with long robes and the collar on backwards. We see people who have a voice that's as quiet as a church mouse. We think that those people never would work. You know, I respect a person who's teaching the Bible, who's preaching, who goes soul winning to also be a worker. Um... Anybody who teaches Sunday school, anybody who helps out in any kind of this thing, let me tell you, it shows whether you got a job or not. It demonstrates because workers love to work. So religious people are not exempt from work. Let me just break, make that point. Religious people ought to work right alongside. Uh, well, pastor, you're pastor. You should just go pray all day. I'd be worthless if I prayed all day. There may be times where I need to pray all day, but I can't live that way. And you couldn't, I wouldn't be balanced. Are you with me? I've got, to, I've got to preach, I've got to pray, I've got to go soul winning, I've got to spend time with my wife, I've got to uh, pay bills, I've got to clean the roof, I've got to, uh, Bird was doing that yesterday for some reason, but um, uh, there's, there's stuff to do and nobody's exempt. Then there are the businessmen. Businessmen, now look in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, next to him repaired Uziel, the son of Harahiah, of the goldsmiths. I'd like to be related to a goldsmith. Um, uh, keep going there. Uh, in verse 8, goes on and says, um, Next to him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. It's a chemist. And he fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. Verse 32, Between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. All right, so businessmen picked up shovels and wheelbarrows and pickaxes and trowels. And I'll be real honest with you. I have great respect for somebody who has their own business because it takes work and it takes sacrifice. And when these guys have their own business and they're running their own business, you know what they're doing? They're working 16-hour days sometimes. And when there's a job to do, I find they just add it and they take it on. They don't go, I'm too busy. Some people are great for that, and I appreciate that. But God's showing all kinds of different people, uh, families and immigrants, Travelers, uh, long-distance workers, rulers, religious people, businessmen. These were all the common people. Now, uh, uh, one other thing that's uh, uh, missing, and I'm going to talk about it maybe next week, but verse 5 says this, the thief draggers. They always show up. Chapter 3 and verse 5, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. So you always got the thief draggers. There's the uppity type, you know, you say, oh, you know, that's a little beneath me. 
I don't do toilets. I bet you don't do anything. Uh, I don't do windows. Um, you know, I, I don't sing specials. I don't, you know, if you say I don't, maybe the Lord one of these days when you ask him for something, he says, I don't answer either. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, we wonder why is God so silent? Because we're silent in response. Now, these are the common people, and I like this thought. Go to, um, uh, uh, go to cha Mark chapter 12. Hold your place here, Mark chapter 12. In verse 37. <clears throat> and I thought of this. Leo, I thought of this. Not one, as I look at all these different people, not one was known as a mason. Doesn't say, uh, Meshulam, the mason. Doesn't say that. Not one is mentioned to be in a carpenter or a bricklayer. Do you know what they were? They were families, immigrants. Yeah, they were governors and religious people and businessmen, but not one of them were qualified to do what they were doing. Oh, that encourages me. When I stood behind the pulpit the first time, I preached my first message to a room of other would-be young men who wanted to be preachers at my church. I went to Bible college, and uh, my pastor said, well, you're supposed to preach the Bible, I'll have you preach. Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock, we'll have practice time. Well, I wrote a five-page, handwritten, single space. I wrote my, my message out word for word. I was terrified. And I got up there, and I just fell apart. I had like six or eight other guys looking at me like vultures going, we're going to find every flaw. <clears throat> First preaching message. I'll never forget it. I'm scarred for life. But uh, you know what I knew after that? And I, I went through those five pages in exactly six minutes. <laughs> and I said, I am not going to be able to do this. You know what my pastor said? It's not you, dude. It is not you. Let God just develop you and just fill the pulpit, man. When God gives you something to say, say it. And when he stops, you shut up. <laughs> Amen. They were common people. These aren't, these aren't the highly qualified. These are people who, listen, when there's a gap, fill it. You know, if somebody dropped dead right now, their heart stops, some of us got to get over and try to help them. Oh, you know, I'm not qualified. You going to let them die? Amen? You going to let the world go to hell? Oh, I don't know what to say at the doors. I'll help you. Oh, I, don't, I, I, I couldn't. I'll show you. We, we've got this idea that a prodigy has to be up here. Oh, my son, I knew he was going to be a preacher since he was three years old. Show me that guy. Because the rest of us, we got kicked into this thing. We had no idea what we were getting into. I love it. I've lived for it ever since I've been called. But let me tell you, I've known nothing but, do I know what I'm doing? God, are you sure you don't have your wires crossed? That's reality. But God uses common people. Look at your Bible, Mark chapter 12 and verse, what did I say? Verse 37. David therefore himself calleth him, speaking of his son, Lord, and whence then is his son? Now Jesus is asking a question because he's been asked a question. It's a great thing, we just don't have time. And the, what kind of people heard him gladly? You know who stood on the sideline, who was sitting there constantly trying to find fault with everything Jesus said, constantly watching everything he did, constantly saying, oh, I, I, I think he messed up there. You know who was doing that? 
the perfectionists, the Pharisees, the I-dotters and the T-crossers, and the guys who knew everything to a precision. And you know who heard Jesus and who loved Jesus? The harlots, the sinners, the common people. Aren't you glad that God takes us? Listen, folks, don't ever get too high or you say, you know, I don't need church. Uh, you're joining up with those Pharisees. I don't, I, I don't really need to read my Bible today. Uh, you don't need to breathe? We need this. These were common people. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 and verse 9. Up in heaven, look at what it's doing. I hope you realize every time you sing a hymn or we're singing in church, you're joining with the song that's already going on in heaven. And you ought to sing like you're there. Because one of these days you will be. And you'll have a lot of regrets for not putting out more volume and more joy. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, and they sung a new song saying, Thou, Jesus, art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood, out of what? Every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Amen. God takes us all. Don't ever think that somebody, oh, they'll never get saved. You know, all I know is God takes us all. Common people. And I put on there the feet draggers there. It's supposed to be above it. Now, let me talk to you about the attitude of the workers, because this is even more interesting. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 3. And these workers are unique because they're volunteers first. Never once are any of them forced to do this work. You know, I don't think the pyramids were built by paid staff. Do you agree? Uh, most empires were built on the back of what kind of people? Slaves. You know who's going to rebuild this, this city? You know who's going to take Jerusalem and restore it and make it into a place that was safe and a place that had a government, a place that had a temple, a place that had an identity? You know who's going to rebuild it? Volunteers. People who are not there because they got paid. They weren't there because they got the praise. They weren't there because they got any honor. They were there because it was important. They were volunteers. They decided their own free will. I said, chapter 3, look at chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah pleads with the people. He says this. Nehemiah 2, 17. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come! What's he doing? He's inviting. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the good hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he has spoken unto me. And they said... Yeah, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. You know what they had? Free will. You know what Jesus says? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you. You know why most people go to hell? Because they won't come. Because they go, not yet. You know, the Bible says, how shall we escape the wrath of God if we neglect so great salvation? You don't have to reject the gospel to go to hell. All you have to do is put it off. Amen. So here's Nehemiah saying, come on, come on. Is anybody with me? And they says, I am. That's volunteers. That's what a church is built on. A church isn't built with paid people. Uh, there's your 20. Yes, thank you for coming. Here's another 20. Oh, you need, you need 30. Okay, wait. Right. 
filled with volunteers and they stayed from start to finish. I thought about this. Dean, these people were farmers. For the next 56 days, they're camping in tents and they're working on this wall. What about their farms? What about their families? What about things? They had to do both. Anybody who had a farm near them still had to go milk the cow at 4.30 in the morning before they got to work at 7 for putting up the wall. This is no easy task. You know, when you volunteer, you're not just saying, oh, I've got time. You know what you got to do? I've made a decision. I'm going to be there. I'll have to squeeze and do two things that day, but I will be there and help, Pastor. That's how you build a church. You don't build a church on people who have time, especially not in the 21st century. You build a church with people who say, you know, I'm busy. I got kids and babies and I got husband, babies, and I've got, um, uh, uh, I've got bills to pay. I got things, but I will be there because it's important and I'll squeeze it all in there. Another thing my dad taught me when I was a kid, I hated him for it. I would say, Dad, I'm too busy. He says, you got just as much time as I do. I knew it was coming. He said, you got to just add it to your list and do it. You got just as much time as I do. And he wouldn't let me out. <laughs> Volunteers. Volunteers. Um, they were instant. Look at chapter 3, still in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. They jumped at the opportunity to work. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it, set up the doors of it. What are we talking about? All right, so in chapter 2, Nehemiah says, Guys, I got the tools here. We got the cement. We got all the work to do. Who's with me? And they all says, Aye, 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 aye. We will. My daughters and I. All the great. And then Eliashib said, Let's get going. And he jumped into the work. He took the lead. That's a good attitude to have. If I have to, where are you? I thought you said you're going to be here at 3. You're not coming until 4.30. I'm going to be gone at 4.30. You understand what I'm saying? I need you there. This is, this is something where when we build a church, guess what time we start? Half 10. 10, amen. <laughs> Half 10. Make it. Why don't we just say we'll be here starting? We'll have church at 10 so everybody gets here by 10.30 and we can start singing. Be there. Instant. I, uh, I need you to go to Acts chapter 8 and I'll show you this. This is fun. Acts chapter 8. I'm not getting very amens, brother. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I forgot my top hat and cane. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. <clears throat> Again, when we talk about work and practical things, you know, everybody gets quiet. You'd much rather me talk about heaven. You'd much rather me talk about Jesus. Amen. But I'm talking about you now. <laughs> Acts chapter 8 and verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now, can you imagine if, if Philip was a teenager? Oh, drat, man. I was in the middle of Candy Crush. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Look what it says. Verse 30. And Philip, what's the next word? He ran thither to him. And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? I love it. He jumped at it. He was instant. Another attitude you find back there in Nehemiah, they were earnest. Chapter 3, verse 20. Chapter 3, in verse 20. God bless you. Nehemiah, chapter 3, verse 20. And after him, Barak, the son of Zabbai, earnestly repaired the other piece. What would that imply? 
How was he working? You ever seen somebody who doesn't want to be at super value stocking? Four more hours of this. Yeah, you know who wants to be there. These guys were excited. They were passionate. They were determined to get the job done. Listen, we're talking to God's people. I can't have a seminar on how to do your job uh, for the lost, but I do want Christians to have a testimony at their work. You know, when you show up on time or early for work, you know what your attitude ought to be? I want to do my best. I'm going to be earnest. To what I, you got a job for me to do? I will get to it. I want, well, you know, after lunch. It's, it's 8.30 in the morning. Come on, get to it. They were earnest. You know, um, they were careful and thorough, but not perfectionists. These guys are rebuilding walls. They weren't building new walls. They just built on an already laid foundation. So if you remember that diagram there, uh, that, that sort of model of Jerusalem, the foundation was all there. As they cleared away the rubbish, the foundation was there for that wall. They weren't going to go, oh, I think it ought to go this way. <laughs> and let's, let's make it a little more shaped. You know, that's not what they were doing. They were building what was already laid out. They were just building walls. They didn't have to figure everything out. They had Nehemiah sort of overseeing everything. They just needed to work their section until it was finished. And you know what I find? Not one of them was wondering, well, what about, what about Meshulam over there? How come he's having a break? Can I have a tea break too? <laughs> you know what they were doing? They were doing their wall, and they weren't worried about anyone else. I thought of this, and this is great. It says they had to get wood for the gates. And it says that they brought tools. But you know where they got the stones from for rebuilding the walls? It was already there. And you know, there may need to be some extra glue put together, some things in your life, you know, glue some things. But everything that God needs to fix you is already in you. You say, well, if I only got married. No, 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 no. If you're not fixed, she will only complexify. <laughs> she will only make it worse. Well, if I only had a son, if I only had a child, well, if we only had a new house, don't do that. Everything you need for you to be what God designed you to be is in those broken stones of your life. God will take and he, and, and he will guide you to be a different person, a better person. So yeah, there's some new things brought in. There's some word, the word of God will glue you together. Faith will glue you together. Other Christians will help glue you together. But what do you need are all in those that rubble at your feet. And the best place for all that rubble is at your feet. For God to be able to say, let's start over. That's a whole other message. But my point is this. They didn't worry about getting anything wrong. They didn't worry about everything being perfect. It's a wall, for heaven's sake. I don't think it looks like a wall. What? <laughs> I mean a painting. If somebody paints, you know, if Connor got up there, say, what is that, Connor? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's you. <laughs> I think it's, uh, all right, we can judge and determine, is that right? Does that really look like Grandpa? All right, no. But when you're building a wall, it doesn't matter. It's a wall, amen? Don't be a perfectionist. So, I don't know. Your church just isn't quite... It's people, folks. That's what we're building. Well, I don't know. You kind of, if you were a little taller, Pastor, be a little more brawny like Eric, you know? He had a mustache, you know. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> that wall they were building was supposed to withstand storms and armies and spears and ramparts. Not opinions. Amen. Somebody has an opinion about your Bible or about your style of Christianity and the, play, the fact that we play hymns on a Sunday. If anybody has, it, we're building people. That's all. We're not building a performance or an entertainment society. Amen. So when these guys are building, they are careful, but they're building a wall, folks. Not something that's going to be critiqued. Well, I like that part of the wall. What's this one's kind of? Yeah, don't do it. Never tearful. Now this is important. Uh, I, I have to go back. We're perfectionists. This is very humbling because I need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Everybody's worried about little messes. I might make a mess of soul winning. I might say the wrong thing. I, if I got up and sang, I might get in the hiccups. Now, that would be bad. All right? <laughs> But honestly, everybody's got an excuse instead of a willing heart. And that's what we need. But let me talk to you about being humble here, or being humbled. Because we're so worried about having a perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect church, perfect faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another. Dare any of you to go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? The world shall be judged by you. Are you unworthy to judge these smaller matters, these smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the best and most able in the church. Is that what it says? All right. So get a little... Uh, um, Oshin. Say, Oshin, uh, Mrs. Smith and I are having a fight. And she's not listening to me. She's not submitting to me. She's not doing right. What do you think little Oshin would tell you? Would the two of you ever grow up? <laughs> kiss her right now. <laughs> you, kiss him. Now go home and love each other. What are you doing? I'm telling you, God doesn't expect you to have a perfect marriage. And if you got problems, humble yourself and let a little kid fix you. So that you go home and go, he's right. You don't need the most expensive marriage counseling. Now you may need some, but some people put all the money into the books, into the seminars, and into the teachings, and the videos, and all the retreats. And none of that's bad. But let me tell you this, God said, humble yourself. God said, do something, which usually means say, I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot. <clears throat> so God's not interested in you having a perfect home. God's not interested in us having a perfect church. He wants us to just build it and love and overlook and do the best we can, knowing that it's a church of people, not for entertainment. I don't need anybody coming in and going, uh, we're here to examine your church. Look away. Look, look on. Keep looking. Because you're just going to see people. Amen? Amen. 
They were tearful. Back there in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, I referred to it, but I want to point it out. I'm almost done. <clears throat> Give me one more hour. Told you there's a lot in here. I warned you. No, I'm done. Nehemiah 2.17, this is precious. Then I said unto them, ye see the, what's the next word? What does distress mean? What does it mean to be in distress? Not just troubled, you're panicking. We're, we're surrounded by enemies. Every time we plant a crop, they come in and they rob us. Every time I build something, they knock it down. Every time we, we try to uh, take our, our daughters and we try to teach them how to be godly young lady, somebody comes and takes them away from us and we have to go looking for them and we find out that they've been raped. We just find ourselves in distress. What do we do? Well, those are the kind of people that, that Nehemiah looked out and says, let's build. The point is this. It's okay to come to church when you're broken. It's okay that when you come through that door, you don't have a smile. Because when they started those, the build of those walls, yes, they were earnest, yes, they were excited, yes, they were, they were passionate, but they were tearful, they were, they were hurting. Amen. Say, well, I don't feel like going to church. That's when you need to come to church. I don't feel like reading my Bible. That's when you've got to read. I don't feel like going so with it. I don't feel like loving Leo. Ow. I can't say you. I have to say somebody who's... Anyway. Go to Psalm 126. Hold your place here. Psalm 126. Everybody knows I'm only joking with Leo. If I mention somebody else, you go, yeah, I find it hard too. <laughs> Psalm 126, verse 5. Hundred and twenty six verse five, they that sow in what? Now we think of we think of all wrong things, but sowing is planting. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, that's their life, that's their livelihood, that's how they're gonna live, that's how you grow bread and, and, and corn and crops. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing this sheaves with him. Hey, <clears throat> how you start is not how you're going to finish. And when you start, and you start working for the Lord, you're going to be coming into a, to a kingdom, bringing your tears with you, and you may even carry those tears for a while as a Christian. But you've got one good hope. What is it? We will reap in joy. Amen? Again, let me encourage you. They, weren't, they didn't have it all together. They were distressed, uh, Paul writes, and he says, we were pressed out of measure. We were overwhelmed. We, we despaired even of life. They thought, uh, he and his other men thought they were going to die time after time after time. That's okay. An okay attitude. Pastor, I thought everybody had to be happy. No. No. You can hurt. It's okay. It goes with the territory. 2 Corinthians, I'll just read this, verse 1 says this, For I would not, brethren, that ye be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves already, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. <laughs> I mean, if we die, we know we're coming up again. All right, last point. They were watchful. We're going to learn, in next month, we're going to learn about how they were surrounded by enemies who took advantage of them, scared them, threatened them. They were constantly 
uh, being watched and constantly uh, threatened by attack by, a, by an enemy that was infinitely huger than them. And so they had to be watchful. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 15. 5.15. Now I'm going to play on the word here in a moment. I'm not changing the Bible. I'm just going to get you to think about it in our application here. See then that she walks circumspectly. What does that mean? Good. Walk circumspectly means it's like when you're driving. Make sure you're looking all around, all your mirrors, every corner, no blind spots. When you're driving, you've got to be aware of everybody and everything, especially when you're backing up. So in the Christian life, I'm walking, I'm living circumspectly. I'm aware of where my dangers are. Look at verse, uh, not as fools. Don't be stupid and go, there's nobody going to attack me today. No, the devil's out for you. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are what? All right, now I'm going to put in a new word there for you. Verse 15, see then that ye work circumspectly. You know, I would hope that today you'd make a decision that you're going to help out more in church. You're going to volunteer to help out with 12 Weeks to Freedom. You're going to volunteer to go soul winning. You're going to volunteer in anything God would lay on your heart. Amen. Let me just give you one word of warning. As soon as you decide to do something for God, be very circumspect. The devil's going to try to hurt you, bring you down, shut you down, shut up, and get you to quit. Amen. Work circumspectly. As soon as you pick up that trowel and you start trying to build somebody, trying to help somebody, trying to grow somebody, the enemy's going to terrify you. Be aware of it. They worked with the attitude of being watchful. Next month I'm going to talk about the enemies. <clears throat> Next week I'm going to talk about what all the walls and the gates are important for, the gates we got to go in and out. I think Nehemiah is so practical. I cannot do it justice. Don't even dream about it. But I want to just get you to think about the practicality of we're building something here. Three things were necessary to succeed. Anybody remember the first one? Money, right? No. Good looks? No. What was the first one? Hard work. Hard work. What made it so that uh, Steve Jobs got so... He worked 16-hour days. Now he's unsaved. He worked himself into the grave. That's not, that's not life. But let me tell you, he succeeded because of hard work. Now we got a balance there. Also teamwork. We work together. Pastor, you're doing fine. You do it all. Is not the way we think. And last one was the most important one. Knee work. So let me be real honest with you. I think we're failing in all three. A lot of people are apathetic about their homes, their walk with God, the sin that they allow in their life. I really find very few people doing anything of a spiritual nature. Now, I'm not talking about them out there. Talking about us right here. A lot of people are waiting on a feeling. Well, Pastor, if God tells me, then I'll do it. Really? That's kind of cheating. Nehemiah didn't wait for a sign from heaven. He says, you, you have this part of the wall. You, you're over here. You, you're over there. God's just looking for some volunteers. You know, um, I find a lot of people find it hard to work with other people. I'm just better doing it by myself. Well, be careful because those are the three things that take for success. Hyper-independent is stupid. You need to work with other people. You need to work with other people. Sometimes you've got to work under somebody and you've got to just get over it. <laughs> How many of you prayed for your pastor this week? 
many prayed for this meeting this morning? I think we're failing. As a general rule, we learned some amazing things about the builders. They had names. That's cool. God, God knew their name. Nehemiah knew their name. Your name written down in heaven. That ought to be a question you ought to say, yes, amen. I know I'm saved. Not because I go to some church, not because I believe some creed, but because I trust Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world. <clears throat> a lot of workers in a church. You're needed. You're needed in this church. Well, the church is filled with people. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. And, uh, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of, remember that word, not of works, the same man should boast. For we are his workmanship, he's been working on us, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So he worked on me, he saved me, so that I can work. That's me. Amen. There are many kinds of workers in the church. I look forward to working. How's your attitude towards the work? How is it when pastor tries to say something and says, hey, will you help? Let me go back to that name thing. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many of you will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I don't know your name. I never knew you. That ought to terrify you. I thought God knew everything. You know, there are some things that God chooses not to remember. And when you die without Christ, he forgets about you. I don't know you. That ought to terrify you. Ought to make you say, Lord, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my name. I want to be able to walk in and you go, Hey, Craig, dear! <laughs> Amen. Now, there's some bad news, some good news. First bad news is everything's falling apart. People, society, some things will never be fixed. You can't expect the government to fix it, can't expect churches to fix it, can't expect counselors to fix it. Your sin against God can never be paid off, ever, by any other human or by yourself. The other thing that can't be fixed is the coming judgment of the righteous wrath of God. You're not going to stop it. But something happened called the good news. God stepped down from heaven and he took the wrath of the justice of God in our place on the cross. I like the good news, amen? Amen. And all he does is he invites you to believe on that man who died on the cross and was buried and rose again. He says, now follow me and I'll get you all the way home. God made you, sin broke you, and Jesus can save you. The question is, if you will, you believe it. Let's bow. Father, just briefly, thank you for every word, all scripture is given by inspiration, but this is kind of practical, very precious to us. Lord, they were written a time for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. And there are probably plenty of people in this room who need some encouragement this morning. The encouragement is not in the miracles, the encouragement is in the reaping after we have worked, in the walls that are built after we built them. I pray we get back to and really focus on building people. And not just leaving it to a few, but that everybody takes their part and builds. 
Lord, there's one building that only you can do, and that's the repairing of the hearts. And somebody in this room has been running and running. All of us started off running from you, and yet you came after us. Thank you. I pray somebody stop running today. Finally fall on their knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. With all their heart, cry out to you, Lord, to be their own Savior. Not just the Savior of the world, but their, their Savior. And let the rest of us Christians just realize we've got some work to do. Let our church be a place where it's wall-to-wall workers, not spectators. In Jesus' name, amen.